Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. Welcome, bosses, to episode 72 of the Presentation Boss Podcast and part two of our Alternatives to PowerPoint discussion. Now, before we get into this episode too much, we have a couple of corrections to make to our last episode. Yes, we've got two corrections, Kate. One was something that I said and one was something that you said. So who's going first? (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do the thing that I said that was incorrect. Yeah, so quite literally, since we recorded, this has changed. So in the episode, we said that in Canva, if you want to apply a transition between slides, you have to apply it to all of the slides. You can't do each slide differently. Literally, since we recorded that, Canva have given the option that you can add a different transition between slides for each different slide if you want. It's a little bit clunky, but they've added in the feature. Yeah. Poor timing for your update, Canva. Really making me look bad here. (laughs) And the second was something that you said. Yeah. Um, So we had an email from a previous guest and also a listener. Hi, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Um, Who let us know that Google Slides can be used offline. I think you have to download the offline. Yeah. So I looked this up. And it's a, you have to be using the Google Chrome browser. Uh, and there's a Google Docs offline Chrome extension. Basically, you install that. And then in your slides, but also Google Docs and Google Sheets, you can just right click it and tell it to be available offline. Honestly, just Google, uh, Google Slides offline and the Q&A that Google have provided steps you through the process. And then you can edit your slides offline. And then when you jump back online, it all synchronizes. That's it. Because I think we said that a lot of people do like their slide design, their document writing, like on an airplane. And turns out you can do that. Yeah. So thank you, Matthew Dix. We didn't know that was even an option. All right. Shall we launch into today's episode? Part two, alternatives to PowerPoints. Today we're talking about alternatives to slides as a whole. And we're talking about physical and non-electronic options. So visual stuff that you can add to your presentation. So we're going to be talking about, I guess, the non-technology options. In saying that, we're also going to chat about how these work online because a lot of the presentations that we're doing at the moment are online. Obviously, all your slide software translates beautifully online. But the other things that we're going to talk about today, the other alternatives, do have some different considerations when presenting online, when you're on Zoom or or whatever platform you use. Yes, like we often say, to have visuals in a presentation is good. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Having that visual element... Um, depending which study or which website you read, uh, we we retain something like 30% of what we hear, but 80% of what we see as well. So having that visual element can be really useful, but obviously sometimes slides aren't the best option or the arena in which you're presenting doesn't have options to present electronically. Or maybe you just don't want to use slides. It's as simple yeah. as that. I think the joy of using something that is not some sort of slide software, be it the PowerPoint, Keynote, Canva, Prezi, Google Slides that we talked about last time, is that it is different. There is such a norm to use slide software when presenting now. And quite honestly, audiences out there crave originality. They like to see something a little bit different. They want to be surprised and they're attracted to shiny things, new things, different things, yeah. right? I think immediately if you decide not to use slides and use some other engaging uh, visual You have a chance to be new and interesting. You have a chance to not look like every other person who's using slides or at least using poorly designed slides, right? And I think that can translate into you being not only effective and engaging, but also memorable. 
first one we'll talk about is the good old whiteboard. I bought myself a new whiteboard last week, Kate. It's remarkable. I don't even know how to respond to that. That is just know that I'm rolling my eyes so hard. (laughs) I think the whiteboard is the obvious physical alternative to a slide. It's like, I think probably slides were the electronic version of the whiteboard. But anyway, we're going (laughs) (laughs) So I think there's a lot of pros to using a whiteboard. And to start with, let's just start talking about the physical whiteboard that's actually in a room. So generally what you'd see at the front of most boardrooms, most meeting rooms. Classrooms. Yeah. And I think the biggest pro is that it is entirely customizable. You've literally got a blank slate and you can do whatever with it. So if you get off track, if you start talking about something that you didn't realize you were going to, assuming that you're staying within the presentation, you can start to use that whiteboard whatever direction you actually go. Yeah, a lot of power with a pocket full of pens. I'm a big fan of using whiteboards personally for my presentations. And part of the reason is I find they're really easy to interact with. So most of the times I've used a whiteboard has been the the relatively cheap one that's on wheels. So you can actually move it around the room and you can obviously write whatever you want on it. You can have other people interact with it as well. Like sometimes you can get somebody else to write stuff for you. Generally, if you're in a bit more of a training scenario. But yeah, I tend to move my whiteboard a lot. I don't know what's up with that. It's just the way I do. Um, But, you know, you can have everybody see it as you move it around. Because it's entirely customizable... You can put whatever you want on it. So you can write up lists or dot points or ideas in that sort of format. You can do rough drawings and even rough drawings or rough graphs can be hugely visually stimulating. Yeah. You can do whatever you want with it. And I just find that flexibility a brilliant option. Mm. And of course, you can like erase bits that don't work or when you're finished with that particular page. Some of the the downsides, though, of a whiteboard, I think I think it's just a couple of considerations. While it's normally visible to everybody to have a whiteboard, that does only really work in smaller rooms of maybe like 30 or less. Much more than that, it's you're going to start to, to lose people at the back of the room because it's just not big enough or above people's heads and that sort of thing. Or the writing becomes too small for them to see it from the back of the room. Uh, you can end up with quite a messy whiteboard if you're not controlled in how you use it. So if you end up sort of putting pictures over pictures or trying to connect too many dots or something, it becomes more of a hindrance to the message than, than it otherwise would be. And the last thing that can be an issue, maybe it's important to you that you want to have a record of what was on your whiteboard. So it doesn't automatically create that copy or whatever. The obvious answer is you pull out your phone, you take a photo. Yeah. I'm going to add one more thing here. And that is the actual presentation element of a whiteboard. If you've got one up the front of the room, make sure that you are still speaking to your audience and not speaking to the whiteboard. You can end up with your back to the audience If you get kind of caught up in what you're drawing, writing, if you start speaking to the board, people can't hear you. You can't engage with people. You can't see people's reactions, responses, just something to really keep in mind. And it does take, like everything, a little bit of practice. Yeah. Yeah. But if the venue or the room has a whiteboard, I think it's a brilliant option. What about online? Online, I think it can work. Like Obviously, in uh, in a lot of the online meeting software, there's like what they call the whiteboard where you can draw on on the screen and participants can draw on the screen but as far as a physical whiteboard like if you've got a whiteboard in the background that that can work i think if it's within the frame of your webcam you don't have like glare coming off it that sort of thing i think it can be useful i've seen it done and it's it's certainly different it is you have to be very careful though as long as your webcam has good enough resolution and often the text is especially if you're not using a strong black it can be really difficult to see on camera good as long as it's done well. 
and you have to practice beforehand. Don't get halfway through your presentation and then realize that people can't actually see what you've written. You need to check all of those things out before you start. I always use the analogy of kill, which is keep it large and legible. Oh, nice. I was wondering where that was going. (laughs) (laughs) So whiteboards, I think they're a great option. You've used whiteboards, Kate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're a great option for flexibility and in a smaller room. Second option is flip chart. So this is the large paper notepad thing that's usually on a tripod. What do they call the thing? An easel? An easel? Is it an easel? Yeah, (laughs) of the front of the room. And same thing, you're drawing up with like massive markers. Again, another really flexible option. And I think the difference between a whiteboard and a flip chart, other than the fact it's smaller and paper, is you can prepare flip charts. So you can Mm. use them either fully prepared, semi-prepared, or completely on the fly and spontaneous. So in our workshop, sometimes we use a combination of this, right? So if you have a fully prepared flip chart, you might completely draw up a visual model, a list, uh, an image, that type of thing beforehand, right? So when you turn up to give the presentation, you can just sort of unveil it and there it is. You can semi-prepare flip charts. So you might uh, use like light pencil and draw outlines or draw what it is that you're going to eventually put onto the flip chart with marker in real time during the presentation. The joy of doing that is it's it's nice and neat uh, because you're not freehanding. You can just follow the lines that only you can see. That can look really impressive, especially if you've got like a drawing that you'd never actually be able to draw, <laughs> but then it looks like you're drawing it even though you're actually just tracing. Yeah, it it can be really impressive. It looks a bit boss, eh? <laughs> or of course you can do the other thing, which is you have a completely blank flip chart and a pocket full of markers and... You add to your flip chart during your presentation with whatever it is you want to do. If you look at somebody like the Simon Sinek talk, his is completely freehand. It looks a little bit messy, but it totally works. That's just an example of a fully in the moment use of a flip chart. Yeah. And what I quite like about them, especially again, if you're in a training environment, a bit more of an interactive environment, they can be a little bit contained. Like you'd have one flip chart gets allocated to one subject and that can either be put up the front of the room. It can be put aside But you can kind of have that topic and put it to the side somewhere and then start your new topic Mm. as opposed to like a whiteboard that it's just all one big screen. Well, you have to erase it and then it's just gone. Yeah. Because the other thing in facilitation is with the big pieces of paper and they're normally, what are they, like A2 or something? They're pretty big. Uh, You can like rip those off and give them to participants to like add their own thoughts, draw on, write on, that sort of thing. Mm. It can be a bit collaborative if you've got that sort of group work scenario. Any cons to flip charts? Again, we're going to use the kill scenario. Keep it large and legible. I remember a few years ago, you remember we had a friend used the flip chart in the background of his online presentation and it just had the title of his presentation on it. It was like a little bit of a humorous thing, so it kind of worked. But in the background, you could see on his webcam, it had the title of his presentation on a flip chart. just looked really cool. Uh, But it has to be large and legible, especially online. I like that if you use it online, just have it in the background and just one thing written as like as part of your background. That's a great idea. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that, but yeah, I remember. (laughs) I think if you're presenting in person, flip charts, just because of like their size can be a pain to transport. You've kind of got to find some sort of roll up option or a tubey thing to transport them in. And then they become cumbersome. It depends how much you sort of have to travel to give your presentation or if it's literally just down the hall. Again, yeah, just a consideration as opposed to maybe a whiteboard where you walk in and it's just there. Yeah. Overall, I think flip charts are best to think of as like a large napkin, just super basic, quick stuff, 
that's bold, large, legible, but totally supports either preparation or spontaneity. Yeah. Let's move on to handouts. Yeah, where we have a paper something that we give to each of the audience members, Mm. which can be really helpful for containing some of the uh, additional information or credibility for your presentation that you don't want to actually have in the presentation or even maybe on slides, like just a bit more information that people can have in their hands, they can take it away with them, they've got it after the presentation should they need it and provides that additional detail and information. It can be really good for especially new topics to, to an audience or to quite detailed topics as well. Yeah. There's a joy and there's there's a trap here with, with handouts. Now, I, th- I think one of the, the nice things about it is it's quite tactile. The audience is a little bit in control because they can flip through a handout when they want to. They can sort of thumb through the pages. They can find little bits of information that they want. They can also like scribble notes in the margins, all that sort of thing. But also that that can prove to be a distraction from a presentation depending on, and we'll talk about this, when you hand it out and what exactly is in that handout. It can, you know, people might be fiddling with the handout instead of like listening to you and the most pertinent information. I feel like it's like slides, like the biggest pros is the biggest cons as well. A bit of a kind trap, of, right? Yeah, you walk that really fine line between adding to something and detracting from something and it can flip between those two very easily and very quickly. So when we did some work earlier this year for a mining company, they had a presentation that was about the acquisition of some new um, digging equipment, a truck thing. And they had this this slide that was displayed and it had all of the specifications for this thing, how much fuel it used and dirt and dug and training for the operator, the tire size, you name it, it was there. And we made this decision with them to pull all of that information off and instead put it into a handout because it turns out like in the presentation, most people don't care about all of that data yeah and again the trap that you can fall into is just taking all of that information and chucking it on a handout but i think it's exactly the same with powerpoint and with handouts you need to really be thinking about what information does my audience need and put that on the handout i think handouts can be a bit of a dumping ground just anything that's not going on my slides anything extra just gets chucked into this handout And they become the kind of handouts that get dumped in the bin on the way out of the room. Handouts require effort, require thought, require really careful planning as much as your presentation. Because you still need to be thinking about your audience. What do they need? How is it presented? Because to me, a handout is still a document and a document is still communication. And a communication needs to be planned Whether it's verbal, physical, online, however it is, it needs to be planned. You've got the same background considerations for all of them. And on that, like, it's preparation intensive to have handouts because they're a document, because they require that thought. Mm. The other thing is also they're pretty paper intensive. Like if you're handing everybody, I don't know, three sheets of paper, that's fine if you've got four people in the room. But if you've got an audience of 30... I don't know how you feel about that. Like, I don't love the idea of just having that much paper for for a presentation. Yeah. Um, Obviously, this is a bit more difficult online, but you can have like PDFs that you send people. And I think online, what I see handed around a lot is like cheat sheets or tools and tips, like a top 10 list of things you can do to blank, blank and blank. And I think that's a really smart way to think about handouts in physical presentations too. What is the audience going to need after the presentation? What's mm. going to really help them to understand, to implement, to have their questions answered? What about handing them out in terms of when exactly through the presentation that you actually hand them out? Oh, this is like, this is the most difficult question, isn't it? Because 
I think handouts before a presentation is folly. I think people then come with preconceived ideas or they think they've received the presentation because they read the document or they didn't read it or they think they read it. Handing it out during the presentation can be an interruption because you've got to stop and hand around paper. Or you can hand it out like at the end of the presentation and then, I don't know, then it's a new piece of information as people are walking out the door and do they still care? They don't even know what's in it. (laughs) There's no right answer. There really isn't. I generally think the best answer is at the start of your presentation. Okay. I think that's generally asterisk here the best option. I think giving it out at the start because you can just give it to people and even if you say, look, I've given you a handout, take two minutes to flip through it. And then they've at least got it for the presentation if it's ever referred to or they need to take notes in Mm. there. I think that just kind of works the best. I think it's very specific to whatever presentation you're giving and having to think about it each time you give a presentation. What is the most appropriate time today? Yeah, no blanket answer. Yeah, no blanket answer. So overall handouts, I don't love them, but sometimes they're really necessary. I think they just require a lot more preparation than often goes into them. So a lot of my handout experience has really muddied what I think of handouts. <laughs> I think they're a really good alternative and even extra to slides. Yep. Right, let's get properly physical and talk about props. So having a physical tactile thing in your hands when you're presenting. Yeah. I think nothing, no slide, no handout, no whiteboard truly shows an audience what a thing is like, like having the thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's super tactile, isn't it? I think here we need to talk about some examples. I've got some examples. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But so people really understand the range of props that are available and how they can be used. Yes. I'm going to use two examples that uh, Bill Gates has used in a TED Talk. Uh, One, we did the speech breakdown on. Remember we talked about... Yeah. He came onto stage and he was talking about the next outbreak and he wheeled out on like a hand trolley the big barrels of... Toxic waste. (laughs) It was like survival supplies, right? Oh. Um, Like rations and stuff. (laughs) So he he wheeled that out on the side of the stage to build curiosity and to show people like this is what things used to be like. His possibly most memorable TED talk though is where he's talking about malaria And halfway through the presentation, he releases a jar full of mosquitoes into the audience. Yeah. Pretty extreme use of props, um, but memorable. May I make it clear here that we are not encouraging people to release animals into their audience. I'm going to go one further. Do not use an animal for a prop for your presentation unless your last name is Irwin. (laughs) Yeah, no animals. There was a presentation I saw a couple of years ago now. And this guy was talking about how much crude oil it takes to make a Big Mac. And he came out on stage and he had his little table set up and he had a Big Mac sitting there. And he unwrapped the Big Mac and then next to him, on the other side of the table, he had a jug of water and cups. And he said to the audience, how much oil do you think it takes to make this one Big Mac? And he picked up the jug of water and he started pouring it into the cup. And then he poured that up up into a bowl, over into a bowl. He said, do you think it's one? And then he filled the cup again and poured the second one into the bowl. Do you think it's two? And he kept doing it until it was something like six and a half cups. And the suspense and the way that he used these props was really impactful. And it really made you think about how much oil was used to make this one little Big Mac. And it was such an effective 
use of props. I think there's so many ways that he could have done it. He could have put six cups, maybe it was six liters. It doesn't matter. He could have put that on a slide. He could have just talked about it. He could have brought an empty bucket, but the way that it was used, actually pouring the water and saying that, you know, this is the oil equivalent was so effective and had so much more impact than a slide or just saying a number ever could. There was one I watched just recently and they were talking about, it was just talking about marketing and how all bottled water is like the same thing. The reason we pay more for some is because of the packaging. And she sort of had this story about this one particular bottle. It was a certain shape and it had a diamond in it or something. Um, so she's talking about this particular bottle of water and then pulls out an example of the bottle of water and then doesn't do a lot with it, but just the fact that it has it there, we can visualize it, right? And I think that's the, the place to start with props is just have the thing, even if not using it as part of the storytelling, just having it as an example, it becomes very tactile. People can see how big it is. They can see what it looks like properly, like in, in three dimensions of squishy somebody holding it. And if it has any functionality, you can actually demonstrate that. You can actually show the thing working. Um, there was a talk I gave a while back for whatever reason I was telling, we've talked about this in the podcast, but um, the time I was talking about how an airplane wing works. And I was like, I've got a good prop for this and just brought in my remote control plane. Right? That's you right. Can, you can just point to it rather than trying to animate a three-dimensional thing on a slide. Just have the yeah. thing and I can point with my finger, right? That reminds me of a marketing lecture. It was one of my first subjects that I did at university. And I still remember it, even though it was how many years ago now. Our lecturer brought in six bottles of cola and they all had the labels completely ripped off. They were all in unidentifiable bottles. And he actually got the students involved and he poured six cups of this cola and he said, I've got six different brands of cola. Who thinks that they can identify Coke and Pepsi and cola and whatever brand? Yeah. And there were a couple of people in the lecture who were so absolutely set that they could identify Coke above all others. So he let everybody taste all six of them. He had plenty of cups. <laughs> it was pre-corona, right? <laughs> yeah. But we were absolutely hooked, waiting to see like if anyone could properly identify the Coke correctly. And a couple of them were Pepsi drinkers, a couple of were Coke drinkers, and they were 100% certain that they knew exactly which one was the Coke. And then he pulled out all the labels. They were all exactly the same. So even though they'd tasted, you know, six different cups, they were so adamant that one of the cups was different, even though they absolutely weren't. But again, 15 years later, I can still remember that lecture. I can still remember being in that room absolutely hooked on that presentation. And that, I think, to me, really showed the power of props when they're used well. I think he had to be careful to regain the attention and then talk about the marketing. And from what I remember, he did that well. <laughs> I don't know. I just remember the call I remember. This reminds me of another story I saw of somebody who had some perfume, but this podcast isn't going to go for three hours. So let's talk about uh, some, <laughs> of the, some of the traps that you can fall in with props. The big one I see is somebody will have a prop. Let's say it's um, this here coffee cup and they'll pick it up and they'll talk about the coffee cup and then they don't put it down and you just end up, they fiddle with a coffee cup for the next however long. And I always say to people, if you're going to use a prop, leave it out of sight if you don't want people to know about it yet. When you talk about it, pick it up, use it. When you're finished, put it down. Yep. Don't fiddle with it. Um, and, and for that reason, props can be distracting when they're not being used. So if you've got a prop off to the side, like if you've got 
your bucket of oil off to the side. Mm. You're not talking about that to the second half of your presentation. People are going to be like, what's with the bucket of oil? Like that's going to distract until attention's brought to it. So that is something to think about with props. But if you can make it work, I really recommend giving this a go. Like everything, it takes a little bit of thought, takes a little bit of effort, but worth it if you can pull it off. Yeah, I've seen, I've got countless, now that I'm thinking about it, I've got like countless stories of great oh, prop use, right? It's the best. It's the best when it's used properly. It's my number one favorite thing. All right, let's talk about the last option. And in some ways, it's probably the most intuitive one. It's the most obvious one. And that's to have no visuals at all other than yourself. So no slides, no props, no whiteboard, no whatever. It's just you and an audience. And I think the reason it's maybe not the obvious choice, but certainly like the purest choice is if you've got no extra things other than yourself, you don't have to prepare them or worry about them working or not working. There's less stuff to go wrong, like your I don't know, prop gets broken or doesn't work or the laptop won't display slides. You don't have to worry about that, right? And there's no setup time, which means you could literally walk into the room and be like, hey, Kate, you're up next. And you could just sort of start without having to plug something in or get something ready, right? Yeah. And I think for me, the best thing about this option is that it completely allows you full movement. You can use the speaking area completely. You can use your body completely. You're not getting in the way of your slides or having, you know, the slide projector in your eyes. So then <laughs> people can see your face way too detailed because you've got like the, the PowerPoint over the top of your face. Um, you don't have any props to trip over or cords to trip over. You know, if you've got a laptop cord or something. It really just gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of the speaking space. In saying that, you don't have the visual backup. Yeah, and you have to do something else to keep sort of the attention of the audience. Like we know people are attracted to big things, to movement, to interesting stuff. And so it requires you as just a pure speaker to be more engaging and to also be more controlled. But, you know, like being more engaging, that requires that all of the effort you would have put into your visuals, you're going to have to put into the presentation itself in terms of things like humor or engagement, storytelling, having a very crisp structure, those things that are going to make people want to listen to just you speaking and, you know, with the movement that you have, it also requires you to be more controlled. So having props or even slides can serve to keep the presenter a little bit on track. Yeah. If you don't have that, then as as a pure speaker, you do need to be a bit more controlled and make sure that you don't get sort of lured off into a distracting path or something. Having said that, and I don't know if this is a pro or a con, I've found whenever I've spoken, not using slides, let's be honest, everybody uses slides ever. When you're not using anything, it goes against the norm quite a bit. So mm. people are generally expecting somebody to stand, to have some slides and to say their thing. If you're the one who has nothing, especially if you have no slides, it's a bit different. Now that might be good, it might be bad. It might make you stand out from the other speakers that people are used to that day, that conference, that whatever. Or maybe you don't want to be the odd one out, depending on what it is you're talking about and your and your best practices, that sort of thing. So it's something to be considered of. If you're just the guy standing, speaking, you're going to look different. Could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I generally would say that it's a good thing. I think being unique is really valuable. So that is what we see as the five non-electronic alternatives to PowerPoint. We've got the whiteboard, the flip chart, the handout, the prop, or nothing at all. So overall, what would you recommend? 
I have two answers. I think the answer I give most often is when I'm trying to get people to move away from um, some dense slides and I usually push them towards some handouts as a place to move some of that dense information that's still required but not in the presentation. Personally, from these options, I have either nothing at all, I'm happy to just present and be engaging, or I really do like using a whiteboard, but I'm pretty physical with the whiteboard. I move it around and interact a fair bit. That makes sense because you're a very physical presenter. Like you've got a huge physical presence on stage. So those two actually make a lot of sense to me that you'd say those. <laughs> the joy of being six foot six. All right. What about you? Which one do you recommend or prefer? See, I love either a flip chart. I love a like softly drawn flip chart that makes you look pretty boss when you draw a <laughs> like, cool picture. Or my absolute favorite ever is going to be a prop. I love props. Yeah. If I can get people using props, then it's happy days for me. You're right. You're right. A well-used prop is just, oh, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. And I wish, I wish there's, there's some TED Talks I'd love to do a breakdown on because I love how they use props. We've done one early on. We did the um, paper towels. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But there's so many others where I want to focus on the props they use. The obvious one to me is Hans Rosling and we, it, oh yeah, it just doesn't work audio and it just pains me that we can't do some of these breakdowns of some brilliant speeches, but you're right. A, because a they're so point. visual and they just don't work on a podcast, but God, they're brilliant. Go watch those TED Talks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what we're going to do? We're going to link to a stack of those TED Talks in the show notes. So if you want to go and see some ones that just do not work audibly, we'd love yes. to do them, but they're super visual. We're going to link to them in the show notes. You can do your own breakdown on them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Those are the five non-electronic alternatives to PowerPoint. So that's been the second part to our alternatives to PowerPoint discussion. Uh, go and listen to the first episode if you haven't, where we talked about the other slide software options. This has been all of the non-electronic physical options. I hope we've given you a little bit of insight into some of the things you could try, either how to best use them or some options you never thought of before. And that's it. We will speak to you again next week. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you have any other topics you'd like us to discuss, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. So that is the five non-ultronic... What the fuck? Ha ha ha!